0: Live from the betting capital of the world. Vegas,
1: baby! Vegas!
0: It's Wager Talk with Teddy Covers and
1: Ralph Michaels. So, we have a legitimate question. Today. Of course, welcome to Wager Talk on the Sports Grid Television Network. Welcome to our Zoom Zoomo viewers on Channel 719. Welcome to all of you watching on the Sports Grid app. Welcome to all of those of you listening into the many places where we... Can be found. But what? Ralph Michaels. Of course, I'm Teddy Covers, Ted Savransky at Teddy Underscore, co- at Teddy underscore covers on Twitter. Ralph Michaels at Cal LV. Ralph, here's the question, and it was a legitimate question. Is today Christmas or is Sunday Christmas? Or was Christmas last Saturday with the full college football slate? Obviously, the NFL is here. And for betters, it feels like Christmas.
2: I think Saturday and Sunday combined is Christmas because, yes, it was exciting last Saturday, but waking up Sunday to only one game, there was really a downer effect. So, this weekend with college football week two, you know, I think that's where handicappers find the most value being able to make early adjustments quicker than the Joes. So, week two college football with week one NFL, Christmas.
1: I'm going to disagree. I say today is Christmas for sports bettors. I firmly believe that because today is the kickoff of the NFL season. And as you know, as I know, as everybody out there watching and listening knows, the NFL is king when it comes to sports betting in the United States. What did we see yesterday? 38 million Americans bet in some way on the NFL, whether it's office pools or that. But that's 15% of the adult population that gets involved from a wagering standpoint. As a handicapper, as a tout, we know... NFL is king, and today, the official start of the NFL season with the Bears and the Packers. We'll preview that a little bit later in the show. What we like to do to get off the mat, b b b b b b Bad beats, bad bets, bad for the books. Let's start with some MLB steam that got denied last night. The Phillies, the lowest number I saw on the Philadelphia Phillies yesterday was minus 117. The highest number I saw on the Phillies yesterday was was minus 175. that's a big steam move now the broader market didn't move that much it was about from one to minus 125 to minus 155 so let's call it a 30 cent move towards Philadelphia but Phillies against Bauer and Cincinnati do not get the job done the books clean up on all that Philadelphia money
2: you know much like in the NFL where weeks 14 15 and 16 those must-win teams become so inflated, we're starting to see that. It's September in the month of baseball. That means those teams that are fighting for those playoff spots, you're going to be paying a premium if you want to back them, especially if you're not jumping on that early number.
1: Sure, and a lot of times, Ralph, there's no question, the concept is very much the same, an MLB in the pennant races, and in the NFL down the stretch, week 14, 15, and 16. The must-win teams are must-win because they're not elite. So when the betting market starts to ask you to lay prices with these teams like they are elite because they're in a must-win spot, oftentimes the value comes the other way since he uh, rallies back yesterday against Philly's bullpen and gets the win. Books, again, cleaned up on that one. That being said, We talked about the ML steam getting denied. What about the MLB steam getting paid? The wise guys pounded the Red Sox. They pounded the Royals. The Royals were minus $2 yesterday, Ralph. You don't see that very often. Both of those teams cashing in.
2: Yeah, well, the Royals were minus 200 for the first time since May 15th, 2016. That's right, the Royals were a 200 favorite. What that shows us, and why these two hundred, these two dollar favorites have been good so, so uh, have done so successful this year, is the major league baseball teams that are bad, like Detroit, are really bad this year.
1: Yeah, and we talked about that at the very beginning of the season, how the bottom feeders in the AL, it's going to be a rough time. KC Cash is minus two hundred. Did I say minus two thousand? Minus two hundred last night. You're not going to see any MLB team ever minus. 2000 we have to talk about something that happened last night that i can't recall that i've ever seen ever ever and again i've been in vegas now this will be my 22nd nfl season i moved out here in 98 so the total in the dodgers game last night got steamed up from nine to nine and a half with the major leagues era leader on the mound in ryu you don't see a total at Dodger. Dodge, Dodge, the baseline totals at Dodger stadiums have been below nine for years. You know, they used to be seven, seven and a half, eight this year, the more eight and a half. But to see the ERA leader in all of baseball and the total getting steamed up to nine and a half. And oh, by the way, the overcast in the first five innings, they got to 10 after five and they didn't score again the rest of the
2: way. Well, Teddy, it's only the sixth time this year at Dodger stadium where we've had a total of nine and a half or higher. The first five all went under the total. Last night's, as you mentioned, went over. The starters in those other games that were nine and a half or higher, Mahada, Stripling, Mahada, Gonzalin and Urias. So you're right. None of the top three guys have pitched with a total of nine and a half. And it just goes to show you, even if you think there's value like there is, last night's game went over the total.
1: Yeah, the wise guys got that one right. And I saw the team coming. I'm like, Ryu's been as good as anybody in MLB all year. I was stunned to see the money come in as strong as it did. And that was a big move. Not a good result for the house, as you mentioned. That overcashed, Despite the fact there were no runs scored after the top of the fifth inning in that ballgame. We have to talk about September. Big September for the books. Betters are bankrolled right now. Great article from David Purdom on ESPN.com. That's worth talking about right here. The last five years, Ralph, Nevada sportsbooks have won more money on football bets in the month of September, $190.3 million, than they've won in October and November combined. Nevada sportsbooks never a net monthly loss uh, in September 11 times. They've had net monthly loss in October and November. Here's a quote from Vic Salerno. Betters been waiting all summer long, and they've saved their money to bet football. Most of those people, not advantageous players. Real quick, Ralph, what's your take?
2: Well, uh, we, we see it a lot of times. Joes think they know what they're doing until they get burned a few weeks in football, then they look for help.
1: Exactly. Right now, the Joes have plenty of money. That's what the beginning of September is like. It won't be that way come November. Hopefully you'll watch the show and you'll be not so Joeish this football season. We'll be right back, right here on Week. A quote from Vic Salerno talking about how September is always really good for the bookmakers here in Las Vegas. Vic Salerno, of course, legendary odds maker here in town. He's been in Vegas since probably since I was born. Uh, I know he's been here at least since the 70s. He used to own the Leroy's uh, chain here in Vegas. His last quote, September has always been great. The casual bettors love to play parlays and teasers and other propositions, which we have a higher takeout on by the time it hits October A lot of them have run out of bullets. And, Ralph, that's so true. You're a veteran of this game. I'm a veteran of this game. There's a lot of guys that week one, they'll push everything in, even though we don't know everything yet.
2: Well, you know, everybody has a pod everybody gives picks out now there's so much information that there really is just an influx uh, of information from all sources that people take this information make their own assessments and they think because well they watched it on a TV show or they heard it on a pod that it's going to be more accurate than others again the source of the information is the most important thing you can remember and Uh, Again, it's the first few weeks of September. Usually the NFL has a week or two where chalk hits, and then it's like week three and the dogs all hit, and Vegas makes the biggest week of the year. Seems like every year there's one week in September where it's a big Las Vegas boon because of a majority of dogs winning the games.
1: Sure, and it's it's a time of year where people tend to be bankrolled when you have any semblance of a bankroll, you save it for football season. No question that a lot of people will blow a lot of their bankrolls this weekend and next. Hopefully here on Wager Talk, we can give you some good information so you can hang on to that bankroll perhaps a little bit longer. Let's talk line movers like we do here every day on Wager Talk. And this one surprised me because the Giants-Cowboys line, yeah, we're seeing a couple of seven and a halfs popping up. But the market is still mostly at seven with juice for Dallas. What's up? Zeke doesn't move the line. The guy's going to play. Or, Ralph, was it priced in already? Did the markets never think that Zeke Elliott's holdout was actually going to last into week one? So it didn't get bet down as much. So it's not getting bet back up as much. What's your take on the lack of significant movement? Was Zeke Elliott likely to play against the Giants?
2: I think there's no question that Vegas had put the line move in. Listen, number one, it's an NFL favorite. You're going to get the majority of public players to play it. Number two, it's the Dallas Cowboys, a very public team. You're going to get people to play it. So I think the line was in. If he's not out there, if he's not going to play, they weren't going to get burned. It's not like they had a huge influx of Giants money. And to be honest with you, week one favorites of six or more, Teddy, just blindly, since 2013, there's been 26 Week 1 favorites of six or more. They have gone 34.6% against the spread, 9 and 17 against the spread. So having a number sitting there at 7, I think they felt safe eight either way. By the way, uh, reports out of Dallas, Zeke's going to play 20 to 25 plays in this game against the Giants.
1: Sure. One would think the plays they put him in for will be the plays that he's actually going to be used Uh, maybe a handful of plays where he's a decoy, but in mainstream media, we're always seeing how much is so-and-so worth? How much is Tom Brady worth? How much is Aaron Rodgers worth? The issue is not necessarily how good a player is. It's what's the drop-off between that player and the next guy, but there's a third factor to consider that nobody's talking about, and that third factor is have the markets already priced somebody's absence into the point spread when the line first came out? So a guy might be worth 10 points, you know. Brady might be worth 10, Rogers might be worth 10. But if the markets are like, well, we don't know if Brady's gonna play, they might have already downgraded New England in this situation or in the situation here with Zeke, uh, with Dallas. So some of the line move may not end up happening because. It was priced in to begin with. That's definitely worth noting when you're trying to appropriately value players with them playing versus with them sitting on the sidelines in street clothes. So you talked about the division dogs, you talked about the week one underdogs as being a long-term profitable trend, division dogs, bigger underdogs, and yet the markets, you know what they're saying that? They're flipping them the bird, (laughs) literally, uh, when it comes to that particular trend. Why? Why? Nothing but Eagles money. The Redskins fade has begun, Ralph. Billy, up to minus 10 at home against the Redskins.
2: Well, you have Trent Williams, probably your best player, still not there. That's a big loss for them. Uh, I look back in the database. Since 2010, week one, there has only been five double-digit favorites. They've gone 5-0 and 0 straight up, 3-2 against the spread. The last two... The Seahawks to open the 2016 season against the Dolphins. They were minus 10. They only won that game 12 to 10. And 2014, the Eagles were laying 10 to the Jaguars. They won that game 34 to 17.
1: So that's a split. The last two times we've seen teams in this role, Jaguars. They've been getting some wise guy love. We know that the betting public as a thing for Kansas City, and deservedly so. Patrick Mahomes was the best quarterback in the NFL last year. But the money's coming for Jacksonville, and it's all sharp money. The first minus threes popping up on Kansas City, it's been four, four and a half, even five over the summer. Now we're seeing Jacksonville money.
2: Yeah, and I agree with the move. Uh, Again, the NFL is a league of overreaction. You know, let's let's look past last year. This was a Jags team that two years ago won twelve games, was one of the favorites in the AFC. Week two, they beat New England. They and they looked like they were going to be a solid team. Things fall apart and things snowball. You have a an elite defense, one of the top three or four defenses in the league. You have a very good O line, and you have Fournette running the ball. That's a great combination. Now, the problem is, you know, Bortles had a 13-11 ratio the last two years. And while Foles' ratio was 12-6, it wasn't great. He was never in the position to be comfortable. This is my team, and I don't have to worry about what I do. Let's remember, Nick Foles in 2013 had a 27-2 ratio.
1: That was under Chip Kelly. But Foles, of course, did perform well with John DiFilippo as his off- as a QB coach. He'd be the offense coordinator for the Jags this season. We've seen Pat Steelers under money, a fair bit of it, uh, for the Sunday night game. New England, the defending champs at home, and this total was 51 at the open, and now we're seeing 49s out there. And I agree with the move as well. We're seeing, and we saw it all preseason from New England. This is not a team that wants to drop back and pass 30, 40 times a game. Tom Brady can't do that at this stage of his career. What they can do and what they want to do is run the football and play defense. The market's expecting a lot of that against the Steelers on Sunday night.
2: Well, again, for the first time in several years, Bill Belichick is now his own D.C. In the preseason, weeks one and two, he blitzed. I mean, he played the Lions week one in the preseason. They had eight or nine sacks. You saw what his plans were in his head, what he wants to bring to the regular season. I think he's going to have a very aggressive defense. And I lean with the under again, 49 and a half is a high number for week one. People tend to remember what happened at the end of last year and not what happens at the beginning of the year.
1: Yeah, my biggest concern about that under is I think people might be devaluing the Steelers offense a tad bit more than they should uh, without Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown. I do think Pittsburgh will still be able to score. Fairly effectively. Thursday night baseball. We're seeing wise guy money on the Jays against the Rays. Toronto with Thornton on the hill. He seems to be a popular wise guy choice today, Ralph.
2: Yeah, you know it's a situation where you only have a few night games. So Tampa Bay being priced at two thirty, they open two thirty. I think that's come down forty or fifty cents at this point. Uh, I think there's enough people that realize that. You know, Tampa Bay is a good team, but they're not a team with on the mound. That should be a two thirty favorite.
1: Yeah, I'm with you on that conceptually. The Rays, a team. And again, we saw them lost to lose the two dollar favorites uh, in the front end of the doubleheader yesterday. I just don't see Tampa in that range, especially with Thornton, who has shown signs for Toronto. He's no ace yet. But at some point down the line, he might be when we come back. Big Game Breakdown here on Wager Talk. Stay tuned. you want two risk free wagers up to $1,000? Go to slash grid and open up a point bet sports wagering account. Enter the promo code GRID, G R I D, and you'll get two risk free bets up to $1,000. In addition to traditional betting, PointsBet also offers its own betting concept where customers are rewarded by how much they win their bet. For example, if you bet the Chicago Bears tonight, minus three, and they beat the Green Bay Packers by seven points, you'll get seven times your stake. That's pointsbet.com slash grid. Enter promo code grid and get your two risk-free bets up to $1,000 today. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER, 20, 21 and over, New Jersey only. Eligibility restrictions apply. See website for details. All right, Ralph. We said it was Christmas. And if it's Christmas, that means the NFL is here. Christmas in September for betters. Bears and the Packers tonight. Chicago minus three, 46 and a half against Green Bay. And that minus three is really bouncing. There's threes, there's three minus 20s, there's three and a halves. Here in Vegas, I've seen South Point bouncing back and forth. Three, three and a half, three, three and a half. Westgate, Uh, there's a lot of books that do not want this game to end with a Bears three-point victory tonight. That would be a very bad result for the house. What's your take, Chicago and Green Bay? Thursday night football, the NFL lid lifter tonight.
2: Well, even if you're handicapping full-time, there's games that are just basically a toss-up to you. Now, maybe I'm overanalyzing this, but I look at these two teams giving the Bears a three-point home edge. We're saying the teams are even. I don't believe that to be true at all. I believe the Bears are the better team. But Rodgers with a new coach, I believe a second life, is a quarterback that I can't give points to, especially a field goal or more. It's a game I'm going to enjoy. I'm going to take a lot out of it. Uh, I think we're going to see some points scored. I would lean with the over. But despite my power rating saying the Bears are a better team and being value with them, it's not a situation where I'm going to make a play.
1: When I break down the four basic units here, you know, Packers offense, Packers defense, Bears offense, Bears defense, the best unit of the four is the Chicago Bears defense. That's the unit that I expect to control the flow for tonight's game. Soldier Field was a house of horrors for Chicago Bears bettors for the better part of two decades. They didn't have much home field advantage at all uh, in the 2000s, and this decade's been even worse. If you bet against the Bears every time they were laying points at home for 15 years, you made money. Last year, under Neji, 6-1 and one ATS at home, as home chalk. They got the job done, didn't work in the playoffs. Uh, but in the regular season, this was a bet on team at Soldier Field. Green Bay, the last couple years, we've seen them struggle consistently on the highway. Now, Chicago's been a very friendly place for Aaron Rodgers over the years. But even last year, they struggled, Green Bay did, in Chicago. When we look at that Bears defense— and say, all right, Aaron Rodgers on the other side, what can Rodgers do to mitigate that? I don't see the skill position talent on this year's Green Bay Packers team. That makes me go, this is the offense that's going to, you know, that's going to solve that defense. I see Green Bay with Rodgers as a team that lacks weapons. I don't trust them against this D, its Bears or pass for this better. Chiefs and the Jaguars. We talked about this game a little bit In line movers with the wise guy money coming in on Jacksonville was four. Now it's three and a half total 52 against the Jags. And here's my question for you, Ralph, when it comes to a new coach and a new core, a new quarterback and a new coordinator in Jacksonville, do you think that Nick Foles will be ready to go from week one running an offense where the Jags didn't do a whole lot in the preseason? to get their offense up to speed. Worth noting, KC's new defense coordinator, Steve Spagnolo. well, he was the defense coordinator in New Orleans in 2012. They allowed 28 points in 440, 440 yards per game. His next job was for the Giants in 2015, 16, and 17. Uh, two of those three years, the units finished 28th and 30th in points allowed, 31st and 32nd in yards allowed. Spags has been... Uh, a bet against defensive coordinator, and yet he got another job with Andy Reid and a suspect Kansas City defense.
2: It, you know, isn't being a defensive coordinator great? No matter what you do, you can leave somewhere and you get a job. I, again, you know, this is this is a KC offense that is going to live and die with Mahomes. Uh, this is a Jacksonville defense that was number three in past years. Past defense last year, they were number four in pass completions. I think they're a defense that can slow Mahomes down. And I think this is going to be a lower scoring game than most think. Uh, I, I think the, the Jags are going to be a bit conservative with their new offense. Uh, Foles not playing at all. Doesn't concern me. They did quite a few scrimmages. They had multiple scrimmages with other teams. And we've talked about this on other shows, Teddy. Anytime you can scrimmage against another team and have ones play against ones in a controlled setting, that quarterback gets more work done in a game. So, you know, Marone has turned into Marv Levy for those betting preseason. He said he doesn't care. He sits everyone. He proves he doesn't care. So to me, in his mind, Foles has enough work under his belt uh I, I don't think I have. Uh, Jacksonville will not make my card, but they're certainly in the upper half of my picks for this weekend.
1: Worth noting, Andy Reid, week one with Kansas City, five and one straight up, four and two ATS, including four and zero straight up and four and zero ATS on the road in week one. I like coaches who have their teams ready in week one. Andy Reid has done that in recent years. Doug Marone, not so much. This is a fun one to talk about. Cleveland. The Cleveland Browns are not the Super Bowl favorite, but one of them. They're expected to be a playoff contender this year. And they're laying five on opening day. Minus five, total of 45 against the Tennessee Titans. They're about, the market split, five, five and a half uh, on Cleveland. It looks, from my vantage point, As if this is a sharp square divide game, the pros like the Titans plus the Joes looking at Cleveland minus.
2: Well, Cleveland has been the Las Vegas darling the entire offseason. You know, in a report a few weeks ago, they had more money bet to win the Super Bowl than any every other team except the Chicago Bears. There's a lot of love for this Browns team, but... Listen, only twice in the history of the NFL has a uh, team—excuse me, I'm going to take that back. Since 1990, only twice has a team improved by seven wins or more one season— and then improved again the next season. Now that was the Rams a few years ago, obviously with McVeigh and Goff. And this Baker Mayfield team may be that same team, but you have a head coach that has never been a head coach. Heck, he was only an OC for a few games as an interim OC. You have an OC that hasn't that uh is new to the team. The head coach is gonna call the plays and do double duty. You have a Tennessee team with an elite defense. Uh, I am concerned about Lewin being out because the offensive line wasn't great last year. They were number 28 or 29, allowing 10.8% sacks. And the Browns' defense is impressive. I really do like their D-line with Miles Garrett and Vernon and, and Sheldon Richardson and a bunch of young kids backing them up. They have corners that can play. But until the Browns can prove they can win as a favorite... It's an entirely different level to win a game when your teams are looking past you with the bullseye on your back and being the favorite. Uh, I do lean Tennessee.
1: Yeah, and I'm interested the total in this ballgame as well. I lean under for this one. You know, early in the season under Hugh Jackson, the Browns had the second most plays per game through week eight, 70 plays per game. After Kitchen started calling the plays, then taking over, fourth-fewest snaps in the NFL per game at 57.6 per game. And oh, by the way, that Browns defense is very, very real. They're scary. I lean under in this one as well. We've seen, since we got on air, we've seen a steam move on this next game. Uh, it's going to say Rams minus two and a half, total of 50 against the Panthers, but over the course of... Of the last half hour, we've seen a move towards Carolina. LA's down to minus two on the road in the to face the Panthers in Carolina.
2: Well, let's talk about a quick angle. Not, not that I'm gonna bet a game because of the angle. It's still interesting for our viewers. Super Bowl losers, 316 and one against the spread, week one. Is there a hangover effect? It sure seems like that. Or it could be that you just still have the bullseye on your back. You went to the Super Bowl, the players watched it, the coaches watched it. You're a team that they're gunning for and have the game circled. Uh, You know, Cam Newton's offense was at a different level last year when they were healthy. They started the season with eight and two ATS at home when he was healthy the past two years. And I really believe they have a dynamic offense and they can stay with the Rams. You know, one interesting thing I looked up with this game, the Rams are a high a high scoring offense, but you have to remember just blindly in the NFL over the past several years, games on grass have gone under the total 57% of the time. People forget that the Rams don't have the same speed on grass as they do at home.
1: Yeah, so you talked about that great trend with the Super Bowl losers. Again, 3 and 16 against the spread. With a push since 2000, worth noting Wade Phillips, the defensive coordinator for the LA Rams, he's been the opposite of that Super Bowl trend. Dating back to his tenure as the head coach of the Cowboys, Wade Phillips' team's 10-1 straight up, 9-2 ATS in week one, holding their opponents just 18 points a game. Wade Phillips has his defense ready on a consistent basis in the first week of the season. We'll be right back here
3: on Wake
1: Welcome back to Wager Talk on the Sports Grid Television Network. Be sure to follow SportsGrid on Twitter. At Sportsgrid, be sure to download that Sports Grid app for your device. You can get us on demand every single weekday because that's where Ralph and I are going to be, right here on Wager Talk. So follow at Sportsgrid, download the app, and let's get ready because we have a deep dive into some of the biggest games. In college football this weekend. ESPN on Saturday night. Two teams that looked god awful last week, Ralph. I don't know which one was worse. You can tell me which one you thought was. I actually think BYU might have been worse, but nah, BYU at least tried. Tennessee didn't. Tennessee minus three and a half. They're laying again against BYU, total 52 and a half. And this one is the TV game. Whatever coach loses this, the hot seat just got a whole lot hotter. Vols against the Cougs.
2: I don't think there's any question which one is worse. Tennessee was playing a team at home as a 24-point favorite that won two games its previous year. BYU was playing a team with a top two or three D-line that most people picked to win the Pac-12. Obviously, though, three turnovers for BYU led to almost led to 20 Utah points couple interesting notes for Tennessee, and I tweeted out last week watching the game, Georgia State was the better team on the field. Tennessee basically quit to me in that third and fourth quarter. Teams that lose as a 24-point favorite are only a 43% play the next week. You would think, all oh, are embarrassed. They're going to bounce back. Not true. And here's another system going back since 2000. Teams that lost as a home favorite of a touchdown or more, And the next week, they're back at home, either as a home dog or a favorite, up to minus 11. Five and 16 against the spread. Only 24%. Both of those things to say play against Tennessee in this role.
1: So this is why I think that you can make a case for BYU. Tennessee was at home, and they were playing a bottom feeder from last year, and they clearly weren't interested in that game. BYU was interested. BYU was playing their arch rival at home, a team that they led by three touchdowns against last year and then lost the game in mega revenge with all summer to prep for your arch rival at home. And they laid an egg. And the way they laid the egg, all right? Tennessee's offense at least did something. Their defense saw a scheme that they weren't ready for, and they didn't do anything. BYU didn't do anything on either side of the football. You know, Utah was able to run the football effectively, were able to throw the football effectively, uh, Utah was, and the Cougars' offense couldn't do anything. You could have given BYU 15 more possessions. They still wouldn't have marked the ball down the field into the end zone. That's not what that offense is capable of doing against a better D. And the athletes that Utah has, Tennessee's got more of them uh, and probably better ones. So that, at least, is my case for why BYU was worse than Tennessee last week. Heck, Tennessee got 30 points. BYU, again, going to give them 120 minutes. Instead of 60, they would have gotten to 30. Might have not gotten to 20. LSU taking money today in early betting action, Ralph. We've seen the Tigers go from 5.5 up to 6.5. This game might get to 7. A lot of LSU money coming. We all know about the Longhorns' track record under Tom Herman as an underdog. Something in the tune. You go back to his tenure at Iowa State. And then as the offensive coordinator at Iowa State. Then he got the offensive coordinator job at Ohio State. Then the head coaching job at Houston. Then the head coaching job at Texas. He's been remarkable as a dog. Something to the tune of 24-2 and two ATS. Um, at Texas, as a home dog, he's w- w- uh, covered every single tr- try that he's had. But LSU's the team that is attracting a lot of attention in the markets. Not just because of what they did last week you're going to take a team that's not Alabama or Clemson to win the title this year, LSU, from a talent and experience standpoint, might well be on that list.
2: Oh, I've been on the LSU bandwagon for a while now, and I think the offense is legit. You have an experienced quarterback, the Ohio State transfer in Joe Burrow you have the wide receiver talent. I mean, obviously look at the wide receivers playing in the NFL for the Browns, Landry and Beckham that have been through that LSU program, but they haven't been able to put the quarterback and the offensive schemes with it. You know, this line opened to three or three and a half and we saw a jump to five or, or five and a half because of the running back news. Now that's into the line. We all know that Texas is down multiple running backs. We all know that uh, a person that was a quarterback is now their number two running back and a wide receiver is their number three running back. Uh, but the Tom Herman as a home dog is enough to keep me off this. Rarely will one angle keep me off, but he does. He does keep his team motivated to play these better teams. He keeps the games close. He doesn't get blown out. I do like the over in this game. When you look back at what Texas did, Ellinger had a 25-5 ratio last year, and when they had a when they had to keep up with the opponent, they were able to play at a faster pace than they were able to pass the ball down the field. LSU is going to get their points. I think 55 was the total. It's now up to 56. I still do like the over in this.
1: I certainly wouldn't talk you out of that over. And I'll, I'll tell you this much, Ralph. When it comes to quarterbacks who I trust in college football, a, a college football quarterback that has heart is worth something. And Ellinger has shown me so many times over the last two seasons how much heart this kid really has. I've seen that from Burrow. And to me, that's worth something. It's something you can't quantify, it's something that doesn't fit in nicely in a power rating structure where point threads are created. But from a, after watching these two kids play for the last two years, Ellinger for two borough last year. Ellinger's got heart that I will not step in front of as an underdog. That's at least part of why Texas has been so good as an underdog in recent seasons. We got a directional school to game about. I love those Michigan schools. There's Eastern, there's Central, there's Western. I visited all three back when I used to live in Michigan. But this time we're talking about a one-way rivalry. It's the little kids from the Mac against the big boys from the Big Ten and The Big Ten schools don't care quite so much as the MAC schools do. They want to make a statement. Money for the Western Michigan Broncos. Michigan State down to minus 16. Total 46 and a half. That Spartans run defense was pretty dominant last week against Tulsa. But the offense, they did not look good. They could not protect uh, their quarterback. And that led to a very choppy offensive showing in a game they won but didn't cover.
2: All right, here's Mark D'Antonio on the offseason. Oh, we're going to be better on offense. We have nine returning starters. We're going to be good on defense. We have eight returning starters. Well, half of that statement was true. The eight returning starters on defense were excellent. Oldham Tulsa, to 80 yards and eight first downs. But when you are Michigan State and everyone talks about if anyone should have been coaching in the eerie of Woody Hayes and three yards and a ball of dust, it would be Mark D'Antonio. 108 yards rushing, 2.7 yards per carry against Tulsa. 303 total yards against Tulsa at home when you had the entire summer to work on your new exciting offense. I can't lay points with Michigan State, period.
1: Uh, see, I watched the game and Tulsa was, it wasn't, it was Sparty bad, but it was also Tulsa good. That the Tulsa's got multiple defenders. A the reason they're laying six and a half, seven at San Jose this week. They have a much better defense than advertised, uh, and it was on clear display against Michigan State. The Western Michigan Broncos, supposed to be one of the contenders in the MAC this year, the one of the better teams out of a lesser conference. Speaking of one of the better teams out of a lesser conference, Tulane looked pretty good last week. Auburn in a dicey spot against the Green Wave, minus 17 and a half, 51 and a half. Tigers are the chalk.
2: Well, again, a quick lesson for those watching. I have Auburn rated as a 24-point favorite on my power ratings, and that is even with bringing up Tulane some after handling FIU easily. You know, that emotional draining win, yes, it's an exciting. it's exciting for a team, but it has to take something out of the opponent. You know, clearly, Auburn, if Auburn loses that game, I would be on Auburn here, playing on them off a loss. But Auburn having won the game, uh, it's just a situation. Yeah, Bo Nick still has work to do. He was 13 of 31, 42% completions. Yes, he got the he got the win under his belt, but uh while Auburn should dominate this game, even though they only have Kent State on deck, it's a situation that I'm not going to bet into.
1: Let me just ask you real quick, Ralph, because it applies to another game that's not even on our list right here. But do you like Oregon then because they lost, laying like 23 and a half, 24 to Nevada? I do. Uh,
2: you know, there there's differences when you pull an upset, like Nevada pulled an upset. Purdue played well. Rondell Moore muffed that punt, and then they took him out of the second half, and he just wasn't the same player. But Nevada won because of a turnover differential. Big difference this next week after upsetting a team because you played well like Georgia State or upsetting a team because you were positive turnovers like Nevada and Wyoming.
1: Sure, that makes a ton of sense. Worth noting, Tulane with that dominant first quarter last week against what was that, uh, Lafayette. But they have it almost. No, it was FIU. Sorry, uh, Florida International. FIU. They, yeah. they were up twenty-one nothing after the first quarter. They had about a two hundred and fifty yardage edge uh, after one period. The rest of the game much closer, but they jumped all over him early. Willie Fritz has been a very popular coach amongst wise guy betters here in Vegas in recent seasons. So the SEC is the dominant college football conference. And then you start looking at the bottom of the SEC, and you're like, man, this team's no good this year, and that team's no good this year. There are years where the SEC goes 10 deep with elite teams. This isn't one of those years. Ole Miss laying 6.5, total of 50.5 against Arkansas. Ole Miss barely scored 6.5 last week. How can they lay this type of price, Ralph?
2: Well, again, you're talking about an Ole Miss team. You know, we've talked about the coordinators, Rich Rod on offense, uh you have an offense that you only returned three starters. It's tough to 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 put that offense in when you have a young quarterback and Matt Carroll. I mean, he, he completed 47% at Memphis on the road. And now you're playing an SEC defense. Uh I, I think, you know, when you have two bad teams like this, I'm gonna take the dog and just hold my nose.
1: Exactly. I want I want no part of laying six and a half with old miss. But It's kind of amazing to see when you see, I mean, these are two programs that a few years back were capable of competing in the SEC West. Arkansas, man, it's been a while. What, since Houston Nutt was in town? The Brett Bielema hire did turn out to send that program in the right direction. The program's been in decline ever since. Two-way action on this next game, Ralph. Miami against North Carolina. The early money came on the Tar Heels. That line was down to three and a half in the week. Well, now it's coming back up. Miami back up to minus five at North Carolina. Total 47 and a half. Hurricanes in the Tar Heels.
2: Uh, to me, North Carolina looked well-rounded with Mack Brown back leading the helm. Yes, you have a freshman quarterback in Sam Howell, but playing an SEC defense is a very good test. I'm happy to take the points in this situation. Again, you have to remember, it is an early ACC game. Coaches are going to be much more tentative. You're not going to take some risks that you've taken in the past. Being the the ACC opener for both teams, coming off those SEC performances, I expect to see a very close-to-the-vest, low-scoring games, Two new quarterbacks. We have a redshirt freshman and a true freshman. We have young offensive lines. I, even though the total's low, I like the under in this and happy to grab the points with the Tar Heels.
1: Yeah, certainly that under makes a whole lot of sense to me as well when you're talking about a frosh QB, a true frosh, and a redshirt frosh matching up against one another. And a couple of defenses that made some plays in week one, Miami's in particular, although the Hurricanes' offense taking a step down in clash from what they saw last week against the Florida Gators. And I still can't get that Mac Brown brain fart out of my head. It's one of those things I almost wish I wouldn't have watched it because it's going to affect the way I think about North Carolina for the rest of the season. We'll be right back on Wager. Welcome back to Week Talk Time for the TKO. We've been doing this all week. We're gonna do it to close out the show. Little tidbits about responsible gaming, little tidbits about how to make educated wager. We call it betting 101 stuff that we can you can watch again and again and again. And today, Ralph, I want to talk about one of the most important things we have to talk about: how to lose. Because if you're going to do this, if you're gonna bet on a daily or weekly basis, you know what's gonna happen? You're going to lose. You're going to lose bets on a daily basis. You're going to lose bets on a weekly basis. You will have losing weeks. You will have losing months. It is inevitable. If you're going to bet, you have to be able to handle the losses. And that includes the losses that are sucker punch losses, like, you know, Northwestern last week or like Oregon last week. They can and will happen. The key for me, and this is something, again, over 20 plus years, you develop it. You get thick skin. You get calloused. You can't get too high when you're winning. You can't get too low when every break seems to be going against you. And most important of all, Ralph, there's one lesson that absolutely you have to stand out. You cannot chase. The time to increase your bet sizes are when you're seeing things clearly and winning, not when you've had a bad weekend, you're not seeing anything clearly, and you're desperate not to have to pay your man on Tuesday. What's your take on how to lose responsibly?
2: Teddy, just to expand on your theory, basically, again, you know on Monday, if you're going to play the Monday night football game, if it's a play, you play it. And what I do is basically this. If I'm handicapping Sunday's card, if that Monday game or one of my top three or four plays, I'm going to bet it on Monday. If not, I'm not going to play it. Secondly is money management, learning how to win and learning how to lose. I use a 3, 4, and 5-star system, meaning I bet 3 units, 4 units, and 5 units. Every week, I reset that system. I bet the same amount Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Boom. You then reset your bankroll, figure out what your bet is for the next week, and those bets stay the same, win or lose. That keeps you on an even keel. It teaches you how to win the right way and lose responsibly as well.
1: Excellent advice from ralph michaels who has been doing this since i got into the business ralph was established when i got here and i've been doing this for 20 something years thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to spend with us here on wager talk thanks to ralph michaels and i'll tell you what it's christmas tonight let's go nuts enjoy yourself Bet responsibly. We'll be back right here
0: tomorrow. Couldn't catch the live show? Yes. Make sure to download our podcast at the FNTSY Sports Network Audio Boom Channel. Oh, so bad.